Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hello there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, good to hear those voices. So with me is podcast regular Mitch. Hello. And we also have Alex North. Hey. (laughs) Now, Alex, people (laughs) might know you as the more attractive Rev, having made your podcast appearance with Rugby Fixation a while back and being a little bit of a fill-in for the lesser Evans brother, which is Curtis. Uh, considering this isn't a visual platform and people can't see your attractiveness, why should people pay attention to you? Why have we got you on a pod with us this week? Look, I'll, I'll be running things on the fly a little bit more. My knowledge probably isn't as good as Mitch's and um, I can't sort of keep up as well as him. So you'll find me sort of floundering a little more, which could make for entertaining listening. <laughs> Good. Okay. All right. So you're not bringing the quality, but you're bringing the entertainment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, very exciting. As humble a man as Northy is, he knows what he's talking about. And he's been a part of our fantasy comp for a while. And every single time I go to try and get a Kiwi player that I think has flown <laughs> under the radar and is an absolute steal, I inevitably find that Northy has him in his team and has had him for the last eight rounds. So I'm always frustrated by that. Thank you very much. Um, on that note, how are you guys going in a fantasy? Uh, we haven't spoken about this very much recently. Mitch, how are you finding the experience? Uh, yeah, loving it, actually. Um, I'm in second place at the moment. So that is a, a big thing for me, I think. So I'm happy with that, <laughs> considering in the tipping, I'm second, third, last or something. It's just horrible. <laughs> I've given up on the tipping. But, it's uh, amazing with fantasy how quick, how tight it is because uh, last last round at the end of round seven, I was coming second and then I lost against Cam by a really small margin this week and I've dropped down to fifth just from that one yeah. pretty close loss. Um, Northie, how are you finding it being in a competition with a bunch of newbies that know nothing, which means you can snap up all these players? No, well, it hasn't worked out too well. I, I sort of back to the Kiwis that you guys weren't as over. And they keep getting pulled pre-game or having their games postponed. It it sort of hasn't worked out too well for me thus far. I'm hoping they can put in a big shift against the Aussies (laughs) fantasy-wise. And and hopefully, yeah, we we still can sneak a couple teams um, in the Super Finals, that is. Yeah, I remember the few rounds back when that that one weekend when COVID went straight through the New Zealand teams and they had their three or four games cancelled that weekend. Your team was just red everywhere. It was no good. It was no good. I felt that this weekend when I had um, a bunch of my players just be given a rest for the weekend, a bunch of my Kiwi players <laughs> be given a rest, as well as the Reds and Waratahs not playing, and I've got way too many Reds and Tars players in my team. Yeah. So combining that together, even with transfers, I had to have like four players just not playing within my starting 15. That was rough. Anyway, yeah, I'm not looking forward about- to next week because <laughs> I've I've put a Brumbies backbone in my team. So by next week for the Brums, I'm already dreading how that's going to work but i'm happy to make some trades with you mate give me some of your good players let's go uh now let's move away from something that only a few people actually have details about and move into the Mm. matches for the weekend but before we do that we need to cover the social platforms and the superbrew yellow cap so mitch i'll hand this one over to you fantastic we are on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we're on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and also on twitter 
at pick underscore drive rugby. So please do give us a like and a follow there on those platforms. If we shift across into Superbrew, the results this week, we had Dan Mori uh, take out the yellow cap this week and move up into... Is this the the overall tally or so, just no, this No, no, so Dan Murray wasn't the yellow cap. It's still Dingo, I believe, who, according to the rankings, has the yellow cap. But Dan Murray is currently topping in top, the entire top comp. place. Yep. Yeah, yep. cool. So Dan Murray in first place on 51.25 points, followed by David Eskey or how do we... Yes, David Eskey. David, David Eskey, that's right, yeah. Yep. Uh, on 50.75, sharing that third place with both Damo and Dingo. Uh, all on 50.75 points. Well done to all involved. So for the run sheet for tonight, it's going to be relatively simplistic. Uh, We're actually going to bring in some spicy news to start off the show because we do have a couple of interesting points, a bit of transfer information and some international fixtures that have come live that Mitch wants to have a rant about. So I'm very excited for that. (laughs) We're going to touch on the Super W Round 6 results and then go into a bit of detail about the Aussie matches in the Super Rugby Pacific Round 8. Before we then move into the locker room and... I'm super excited because I got to have a pretty lengthy and pretty entertaining chat with Ian Pryor on Thursday night, uh, previous captain of the Western Force, one of the stalwarts over in the West. He's an absolute legend of a human being. And like I said, I got to chat to him for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And so we're going to be tacking that interview, that chat on from Thursday night at the end of this pod. So make sure you stick around and get involved for that. Uh, You guys all good? We're happy to move on into the spicy news. Let's go. All right, let's go. All right, we move now to the spicy news. I'm going to start off with a bit of sevens information, a bit of sevens actions, where the Aussie men's absolutely dominated throughout the pool rounds in Singapore until they came up in the semifinals against a very strong Fiji team that they went down to about, I think it was 12-19, in a very competitive game, which put them into the um, kind of third-place playoff, and they beat Ireland 21-19 to come third. They had some absolutely dominant performances throughout this run, uh, even beating the old uh, mother country, England, 40 to Neil, very, very excellent performance. You guys, did you guys get to catch any of these matches or highlights from across the weekend, Northy? No, I didn't get to see any of the games live. I loved seeing the scores roll in, though, particularly oh, yeah. that England game. Um, that was brilliant to see. And, yeah, unfortunate loss to the eventual winners. So, you know, you, you can't be too hard on yourselves, but hopefully they can carry that form into the next comp. Mitch, did you catch any of it? Uh, I didn't get to catch any of them live, but I did get to go back through Twitter and see some of the highlights and, uh, a few different bits and pieces throughout, and it looks like it for it looked like a great tournament. It looked like it was quite competitive. Um, some cool, some good scores coming from a lot of the teams in Australia. Played really well, so uh, some very good signs from a team that had a few new players coming in as well. Um, I think this is John Manetti's second uh, yep. tournament in charge. So yep. already we're we're jumping up the the ladder rankings with him in charge, and it seems to be working well for us. Yeah, it was really positive considering how many players had changed over and were fresh to the squad of the team uh, beginning with this comp. Now, you might be asking, where are the women? Where are the women? And they actually weren't playing within this event um, in Singapore. The next women's competition is at the end of April. I think it's the 30th of April. It kicks off in Langford in Canada. So keep an eye out for that match, although that series coming up 
at the end of April. So the next piece of news is uh, somewhat unsurprising in that Santiago Medrano is heading over to England to play for Worcester Warriors. He's following Fergus Lee Warner, I believe, is going to mm-hmm. Worcester as well. Yep. Um, so he's heading over there and will be leaving the Western Force at the end of the year. Um, look, it's a little bit concerning for the force and that they're having a few key players going. Um, but there's also news that Falao Fainga'a is going to be moving across to um, the Western Force. It's not confirmed yet. Now, obviously, they're different positions, but it is shoring up the front row stocks in a general sense. Uh, Northy, what, what was your takeaway when you heard this news that Madrano was going to be leaving? Yeah, look, I'm surprised he was around as long as he was. Obviously, they copped a few pumas last year um, in that Western Force team. I thought he might have been a part of the mass exodus. Um, I was honestly surprised to sort of see him hang around another year. Uh, in saying that, though, I, I think he's been a great player for them. He's shored up their scrum. He's got a huge work rate. He hits rucks. He makes his tackles. Um, you know, he's everything you want in a prop, really. Um, so I think, yeah, they're going to have a big void to fill when he goes. My hope is that he continues to have a pretty decent season because he's one of my front rowers and I really need him <laughs> for my fantasy team. Um, but Mitch, here's some pretty big news that has been coming out where uh, it's been broken by, I think it was Georgina Robinson and Sydney Morning Herald that uh, Tom Banks is going to be leaving at the end of the year on a 1.4 million per annum deal. So it's a two-year contract over in Japan, so $2.8 million in total. Now, RA are supposedly working on a deal to try and get him to stay with the Brumbies, um, three-year deal, potentially one-year sabbatical where he can go overseas to Japan and make his payday there because they see him that as a pretty valuable player for the Wallaby setup. What are your thoughts when you saw not only the fact that he was going overseas, but the fact that the Wallabies are pushing so hard to get him to stay? Do you think he's worth it? Yeah, it's an interesting decision. Uh, it's, and it's very unusual timing as well because you would have thought if he had all of his intention to play for the Wallabies at the World Cup next year, that he would just be knocking back offers from overseas and trying to get that contract extension to 2024, which seems to be what all of the current players in Australia are doing at the moment. They're signing with Australian rugby through to 2024, and then I expect we might see a little bit of change and in, in ter- in turnover in the supersides. But the fact is that he is the front runner for the 15 jersey at the moment for Australia. He's... The only player really that has experience enough to be considered at that jersey for the first test against England in a few months. Uh, Jordan Pattaya is putting in a really good performance so far, but I don't think he's going to be selected in that first test against England at that. Uh, with he's only played currently three weeks um, at fullback, so it's really unusual that he has uh, taken. He's talking to Japan clubs first of all, and. It, when you look at the money, you can't. You, that's got to be a massive factor, obviously. Like he can set himself up for potentially the rest of his life with this one signing, but it essentially rules himself out of contention for twenty twenty three. He's yep. not going to be a uh, Gitto Law Amendment selection. He's not that good a player, in my opinion, to be warranting one of those three spots when we've got the likes of Samu Krevi and Quade Cooper taking up the other two, and potentially Marika Korobetti is that third one. So it's interesting that he's taken it. I can't uh, fault his decision-making at all. Uh, I just don't think he is good enough player to warrant a three-year deal contract with yeah. Rugby Australia, with a sabbatical. Like, I don't see that he is as integral to Dave Rennie's overall plan for 2023 that Rugby Australia really needs to be finding every penny possible to try and keep him. Tom, um, Northy, Tom Banks. 
he's getting offered two point eight million for two years. Should he be taking that? Look, uh, you can't really knock him for you know that sort of money. Um, you know, he has established himself as the Wallabies' sort of first choice fifteen for the most part. But at the same time, you know, I know there's pundits like us and all across Australia that you know we're still not sold on him, and and that includes me as well. Like, uh, you know, if a better option comes along, uh, like sort of Mitch was alluding to. You know, he's not as important as he might seem um, at other times. You know, we've got Hodge who could fill in there. You know, there's talk of Kellaway moving back there and obviously Bataille has been playing there as well. You know, if we can get some of those guys to, you know, stand up, there mightn't be as big a gap as we think there might actually be. Um, but, yeah, for that sort of money, I, I'd be going probably. Money yeah. talks. And and that's a big part of it, hey. Uh, I think what it's what it's really helpfully doing is asking bigger questions about the place of Australian rugby within a global marketplace, about what actions South Africa will be taking once the twenty twenty five agreement that they have to be a part of SANSA finishes up, um, and about how Rugby Australia are going to leverage the windfall from the twenty twenty seven and twenty twenty nine World Cups to make it possible to keep quality players or at least maybe a few really top level players across each of the teams um to have the financial capacity to be able to keep players like i do wonder within australian rugby i do wonder if it is a bit of an indication of where dave reddy's currently at with his plans for the squad for 2023 like we know that tom banks is included as i alluded to before and as northy did that come that first test against england this year tom banks gets that jersey if he's fit and ready because we just don't have another option but with Curtly Beal coming back next year, with James O'Connor, we haven't, we can't rule out the fact that he could, at a pinch, play 15 uh, along with um, Reese Hodge. So maybe he doesn't factor into Dave Rennie's plans as much as everyone thinks that he does. And so that's the reason that he's looking outside because we're not, we're, we're not getting players like Taniel Tupo coming up and, and getting these big money. Because if Taniel Tupo was on the free market, he would be getting probably $6 million a year. No mm. doubt a Japanese club would sell every share they had to try and get <laughs> Taniel Tupo on the books. You've heard it here first. Taniel Tupo is worth $6 million a year. But either way, he's an insanely good player. And I think any money that we would be spending on banks, you spend to keep um, to mm. either get Karevi back or to um, keep keep someone keep like Taniel Tupo. Yeah. Yep. Um, guys, we might... You- Actually, Northy, you keep going, and then after that, we'll jump on. Perfect. If you want to compare him to the other players, big-name players that have gone on sabbaticals recently, you're looking at Damien McKenzie, Bowden Barrett, Brody Retallick, and Michael Hooper. They're sort of the big Southern Hemisphere ones that have done sabbaticals recently, and I don't think Banks falls into that category, so, <laughs> so I don't think that sort of option works. So. Yeah, yep. exactly. All right, so there's been some pretty uh, exciting news in terms of some international fixtures that have been announced in the last week that we wanted to bring to you. And we're going to start with the Bilcor Wallaroos fixtures. So the Wallaroos have not played a game of rugby, um, well, uh, international game of rugby, since the 17th of uh, uh, June, July, August 2019. <laughs> Okay, so 2019 August. And so it is incredibly exciting to let everybody know that the Wallaroos are going to be playing the Fijiana, um, Fijiana, so the women's Fiji team on the May the 6th Suncorp Stadium 
Um, and there's also going to be a follow-up match on Tuesday, the 10th of May at Bond University on the Gold Coast against Japan. So that is, those games are going to be some of the lead-ins they have prior to the Women's World Cup later this year in New Zealand, which is incredibly exciting, but just wanted to pass it on. Mm. Please make sure if you live either in Brisbane or the Gold Coast, actually either, and you can travel um, to those, get along and support the women. It's an incredible opportunity for the women's team alongside the World Cup later in the year. So this is vital preparation. Get out there, cheer your hearts out and make sure you support our women. Um, the Itoro England series has been announced with the first game getting played on Saturday, the 2nd of July at Optus Stadium in Perth, the second game on the 9th of July at Suncorp in Brisbane. And then pretty controversially, the third game on the 16th of July at the SCG in Sydney, which is without a shadow of a doubt, the worst rugby union viewing ground within Sydney. Maybe within, a, I don't know if I'll say within Australia, I don't know all those grounds, but I'll just say definitely within Sydney. I think um, you can confidently so... say within Australian rugby, <laughs> it's the worst venue, just because where else do we play? Yeah, true. Um, so it was pretty controversial. Uh, whilst Rugby Australia haven't said this, it seems pretty likely that it's because of some deal with the SCG Trust with the rebuild. Actually, I can confirm that that's not the case. That was something that was uh, going around last week, but it has been confirmed that... Yeah, it has been confirmed that it wasn't a contractual obligation that they had to play there. They did have the fixture against... I think it was the third test against France last year that was meant to be played at the SCG. And from all reports, it was a sellout um, before that COVID... Uh, Omicron or whatever, Delta, whatever wave it was, uh, swept through Sydney and it got cancelled and they ended up playing those three tests midweek in Brisbane. Uh, So it's not actually, we're not contractually obligated to have to play there to be able to play uh, at the SFS in future like the Waratahs are. From what I've heard and what I've read, it sounds like it's more of a money-making decision from ROA because it holds like 42, 46,000 people. Um, the only equivalent stadiums that uh, they could potentially get that many people into weren't available. Right, yeah, because I was looking at the um, genuine, I was just going through the NRL schedules out at um, Parramatta Stadium, whatever that that's called now. I keep forgetting the name changes and Homebush Home Stadium Bank, as well. Yep. Yeah, and um, I was looking at both of those and they've got matches the next day. There is no game that's um, on mm. the 16th of July, but I'm assuming that you just can't play a game of rugby the day before another rugby league uh, rugby team is um, booked in to yeah. play there. So maybe that maybe that's it. But seriously, oh, look, as much as it sucks and I'm frustrated by it, I've, I'm still wanting to go to the game mm. and I'm still going to go out and support the Wallabies. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I think it's going to be a great viewing experience. But, hey, with a bit of luck, we'll either be 2-0 up already and be able to kind of shove their faces into the dirt when we win 3-0. <laughs> I'll or, do it this again, or, or it might be a decider and that would be an incredible thing to Or it itself. could be a dead No, rubber. it's not going to be that. <laughs> Um, so it's it's either of those. Uh, Northy, before Mitch has his opportunity for a quick rant on this, uh, what was your, did, did you kind of understand being from uh, Brisbane, did you understand why people were so frustrated you, by the yeah, announcement this was at the SCG? Do you care? Sydney fans yeah, well, No, I, I do get it. I've actually been out to um, one of the other stadiums down in Sydney. I can't remember which one it is. Most of rugby league stadium. And even that was bad. They've even complained about that. And I know the SCG is, you know, a multitude of times worse. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, honestly, it's not just from, because I'm from Queensland. We just need to play as many games at Suncorp as we can. It's become a fortress. It's the only shot we've got at getting the Bledisloe back. Let's mm. just go to two games in Brisbane and then and one across the ditch and, and see if we can pinch it from them. <laughs> I love that news. I love that. And look, to be honest, there's a big part of me that actually agrees with you purely on our record there last year uh, and the performances we put in last year. But anyway, Mitch, you wanted to have a bit of a chat about this. Yeah, so my biggest gripe with this decision is that we are... We've we've said it. We've everyone knows that the SCG is a horrible venue to watch rugby at. It's just it's so far away from the sideline, and there's just no atmosphere. So the only redeeming quality for choosing the SCG as a venue would be that they filled it up, and it was like at near capacity to create any form of atmosphere. Now that's great in theory, and I think it would be fantastic to have a sellout SCG for that third test. But when you look at the price of tickets that they are charging for this game. It's just unrealistic. So to sit on ground level, uh, under uh, not undercover, you're paying $165. To sit on the sideline in the second row up, $260. So the fact is that even if they wanted to fill the stadium up, if they wanted to get families there, they wanted to get kids there, they wanted to get friends and, and um, wives and that sort of thing, the ticket prices are so expensive that it's just not possible. I am amazed by how much that costs and it just makes me even more need to push for our um, media accreditation for the Wolbies games. So I've got the I've got it up in front of me right now. Uh, the England Supporter Bay. There's two bays in the SCG that have been allocated to England Supporter Bays. For an adult, it is $159. Now, this is the same place that we would sit with our Waratahs general admission seats that we paid yeah. uh, 100 110 I'd say for the season. Yeah. So $110 to go to nine games of rugby at the SCG. They're charging more for one game. If it's raining, you're sitting in the rain. Like it's a massive ask <laughs> Which, for people knowing, to put this. Knowing the East Coast at the moment, yeah, it would. Yeah. It's a massive ask to, to get this many people there. I just don't see how they're going to fill it up when they want that much for tickets. It just doesn't make sense to me. If they charged... $80 for an adult to go and sit in general admission or in on ground level, 110 to sit on the second level. You're still not getting great view of the game. The The other side effect of the SCG as well is it is a cricket ground, as, as the name implies, but they don't have a great screen. So depending where you sit and where it looks like the, the seats for the gold brigade are allocated, you actually can't see the screen. You can't mm. see the screen at all. So you actually have no way of watching the game other than seeing sort of the, the little people out in front of you. Now, I'm a diehard rugby fan. I would want to be there with bells and whistles on, cheering the boys on. But for 160 bucks, it's a massive ask. Yeah, I was just looking at the Gold Brigade tickets and it's 160 bucks to go. That's just that's just outrageous. Anyway, I let's guess, stop out. Yeah, sorry, North, you go. And then- <laughs> even, on the, even on the telly, though, you can notice it. Like, And the players, you know, they've got these makeshift benches, you know, you this camera will pan out and the play will be happening and it's just all green space you can't even soak up any of this atmosphere but you can't from see the it. crowd yeah like even on telly like it just looks like they're playing in an empty stadium almost or, or down a park field and it's just all greenery yeah you don't get any of that vibe coming from from the crowd at all even through the telly so so it will be interesting to see what ra do with this in the next few weeks um i got burnt personally a few years ago uh when the last bledisloe was played in sydney I paid 179, I think, to sit 
similar, sit behind the goalposts, under, not undercover. It poured, got absolutely soaked. There was a third of the stadium there. Uh, Two-thirds of the people that were there were wearing uh, all-black supporters' kits. And we got thumped like 36 to 5 or 7 or something. And it was just an atrocious night. So they're not, they're not winning anything by, by doing this round two. <laughs> well, maybe it just shows the dire financial straits that are in that they're doing anything to try and leverage whatever financial gain that they can possibly get. But why don't we move on? Because there are some really positive things that we could be talking about from this weekend's mm-hmm. uh, round of rugby. So I think let's get into the Super W and Super Rugby Pacific. Let's go. All right, it's time to talk some rugby now. So we'll start off with the Super W, and it was the final round of the regular season for the Super W. It was round six. We had two games played. There was one game, unfortunately, cancelled between the Western Force and the Melbourne Rebels women's teams. Uh, I don't think at this point that that game is going to be played. I think it's just been cancelled, or it's not postponed. But we will talk through the results. We had the Waratahs playing the Queensland Reds uh, on Saturday afternoon, 2.20 p.m., it was a 46-0 drumming by the Waratahs against the Reds. Uh, we then had the, uh, on Saturday night at 5.15 p.m., up in Suncorp Stadium, uh, the Fijiana Indrua hosting the Brumbies. The Fijiana Indrua did come away with the victory this time, 17-7. to That does set up the finals for next week. So the, the regular season is run and done for Super W for the year. Next weekend, we have the Waratahs hosting the Queensland Reds again in Sydney. It's basically a second round of what we saw this weekend. (laughs) Waratahs versus the Reds. It's on Thursday night this week. So if anyone's in Sydney on Thursday night, long weekend coming up, nothing to do. 6 p.m., get out to Parramatta. Eric Eric Tweeddale over to cheer on the Waratahs women or the Queensland Reds women, if that's your team. Um... That is the semi-final. The Fijiana Indrua did top the competition, so they've gone straight through to the grand final, which will be played the week after at, during Super Round in Melbourne, which is a massive, massive thing for the women's game to have them on the same stage at the same time as the men's teams playing for Super Team uh, for Super Round. So, Ando, Northy, have you guys had a chance to see any of the action from the women's team this weekend? I was I was pretty stoked to see Arabella McKenzie make her um, kind of shift back into that 10 position like I had predicted as well as Laurie Kramer going back into 15 and uh, from all accounts of people who were able to watch all of the game it worked really well so you're welcome everybody I was <laughs> the one that told them to do that and they obviously have done it so that's all I have to say. Fantastic and uh, big props must go to the Brumbies women to hold the Fijiana in Drua to only 17 points we did see the week before that the Waratahs did go down to a much higher score than that uh, to the Fijiana Indrua. And we know that this is the, they are the team to beat so far this year. They are a team that can score points from nothing. So well done to the Brumbies women team. Obviously not the result they would have wanted coming away with the loss, but still a great thing to be able to keep them below three scores. Uh, we look forward to next week. It is the Waratahs women versus the Queensland Reds again. Uh, do you see, Ando, this being any different, this result in the semi-final? Uh, the semi-final? No, yep. not really. It might be a bit closer because the Reds have 
not that they didn't have much more to play for, but sometimes within a team you can get up a bit more when you know it's a finals match as opposed to a, like a round match. Mm. Um, so it may well be a little bit closer, but I mean, this was a statement from the Waratahs women and it was an absolute drubbing and I'm sure they're going to want to continue that form or continue to build upon that good performance before they in their minds are reaching the Fijiana and Drua in the final because they're going to be hurting after their loss last week mm -hmm. and wanting to make that right. So it might be a bit closer, but I don't see anything other than the Waratahs women win. Northy, do you have do you see the Reds being able to upset the the Waratahs? This is the first year that they've lost a game. Do they lose the semi final and not even make the final? Look, I don't think so, unfortunately. My heart's telling me that, yeah, the Reds can do it, but look, just based on past performances and, and how strong that Tars team have been and I guess last week's result in particular, it'd just have to be too big a turnaround to, I think, pull the win for the Reds' wins, unfortunately. Um, you know, in saying that, if they can be more competitive, if there's a try or two in it towards the end, who knows what could happen. Exactly. Never say never, right? Hopefully, yeah. A good game. So for those around Australia, 6 p.m. Thursday night on Stan Sport as well, Super W semi-final. Get your eyes around that one. Let's move across into the Super Rugby Pacific fixtures for this weekend, and we'll start off in Game 1 over in Perth. The Western Force hosting the Rebels. This is always a grudge match. The score, final score for this game was 22-21 to the Melbourne Rebels. It was a little bit of an upset. Uh, I think all of us this week picked the Western Force to win mm -hmm. this game uh, on our tips. So didn't start the weekend off in the right way. But Ando, we'll start with you first. What were your general impressions from this game? Oh, look, general impressions of the Force should be bitterly disappointed by this performance. Um, if they can't be beating the Rebels at home in a really, really significant match prior to the Trans-Tasman component of this, um, this competition coming into play, then they really don't deserve to be in the finals race. Um, like, like, I know, like, I'm I'm, sorry, I thought you were about to say they don't deserve to be in the competition. I was going to oh, be like, God, oh, let's not go there. <laughs> no, but I mean, they were realistically aiming to be in a top eight. Yep. And I think that losing to the Rebels has just put that probably beyond re um, realistic reach for them, unless they can pull off some pretty significant upsets uh, against the Kiwi opposition, which I'm not really expecting. Um, they were they had significant numbers of unforced errors, um, silly penalties. They had some, some really good moments in attack and defense, but they didn't have the consistency all round within their play to um, get up over the rebels. And the rebels have been, uh, apart from last week and I guess maybe this weekend, the basically the worst team within the Australian um, side of the competition. Northy, have, have you had a chance to see this game or the highlights of it? Yeah, so I, I haven't actually, but if we want to run through some stats, I can fill that place from Rev. Yeah, you've got um, some stats there. Fantastic. Yeah, no, nah, I've got some stats. So I Brilliant. don't think um, I'll try and live up to his expectations. So yep. look, firstly, three tries to one. Um, obviously, the force win that category. Uh, force one meters, force one defenders beaten, force doubled clean breaks. They had more passes, more offloads. By the looks of the stats, at least, they played more footy. They mm. were more involved. Um, you know, their players beat more defenders. Um, and they, yeah, sort of were playing the, the running rugby, which I think, you know, Aussies like to see. And, and Western Force have kind of grown accustomed to. And at the same time, you know, Rebels play this style of footy that can become painful. Um, you know, they're playing games like a test match. And admittedly, this time out, it worked for them. They got the win. However, you know, 
Western Force didn't kick any conversions, one conversion, and and you know we'd be saying a very different story about how mm. Western Force did well to hang on to win by a point when Rebels weren't playing any footy against them. So, so Ando, you did you did sit down with Ian Pryor last week, yeah, last Thursday night. Uh, his his performance off the tee this week wasn't great. What did you say to him? That has Matt. given him the jujus to not get any. Mate, I'm kicks. pretty sure it's nothing I said to him. It's his bloody wingers putting it into the literal <laughs> like centimetre perfect corner of the field in every single try that they scored. Mattielli's flying Fijian finish in the corner. Carl Godwin gets that loose ball scramble after um, Hodges stuff up on the cover defence, and that's in the corner as well. And then Brad Lacey's one is in the corner too, and so they're all really really hard and. Pryor's obviously just had a bit of an off night. Um, I promise I didn't put a juju or anything like that on him. Um, And, yeah, look, they were tough kicks, but he was uncharacteristically poor, unfortunately, in that area, which is a noted strength of his. So he'll be disappointed in that. Um, But realistically, like, yeah, okay. You can say he kicks those, they win. Yes, but a big part of it also came down to ill-disciplined by the force. So many times they're just doing silly things like not rolling away within tackles. Kane Koteka got pinged for that three times and got yellow card in the first half because he simply didn't roll away. It was like the first 15 minutes too, yeah. Yeah, it was so super early until um, Damon Murphy had just had enough and said, get off. <laughs> um, and those were just silly things because I looked back on them and I thought one of the three was a little bit harsh against him but the other two he made zero effort to try and get out of there and it's just a basic picture that you're presenting the referee um that just allows someone who is in pretty decent kicking form like um matt tuamua to be able to kick those ones over so it was uh in in some ways they were their own worst enemies but talking about some absolutely killer like really really good performances Brad Lacey on his return to the force lineup after a pretty long absence out, 97 run metres, um, two clean breaks, eight defenders beaten. He smashed it. He had such a good performance and got a try as well to boot. Um, you also had Bailey Kunzel probably have his best game for the Western Force uh, with 92 run metres, two clean breaks, four defenders beaten. And Mattielli, whilst getting the try, um, also had 83 run metres as well. So there were some really good performances from the outside backs. Um, but they were just let down by an overall ill-disciplined team performance, in my opinion. Yeah, and it felt and like this w- week. Oh, yeah, no, you go, Nelthy. No, while while we're talking about Brad Lacey, as long as Wikipedia is not deceiving us, it's actually his birthday today. So a shout out, Brad, if you're listening. Hey, Happy birthday, hey. mate. Happy awesome. birthday. Good shout. Good shout. I was going to say, it, uh, it does very much feel like the Western Force have finally figured out how to use a player of Mateoli's ability this week, that he was making meters every time he touched the ball. And for the last few weeks, it sort of seemed like the the force players were okay to just let him do that and stand back and watch. But this week was the week that they actually started to make those connections and the offloads were sticking and they were starting to make momentum through that. So he'd make the break, he'd get the offload before he went into touch and then they'd they'd make a few meters before going into contact, which is something that they haven't done before. Yeah, and to, to that credit, the lead-up to um, Brad Lacey's try was absolutely fantastic. It was some really good uh, forward hit-up play with Ian Pryor then kind of darting around the ruck, doing a round-the-back inside pass to Mattielli, who crashed through a couple of passes out wide. Brad Lacey splits the gap, goes over. Um, and it was it was really, really good play, but it just wasn't consistent enough from them. Um, and the Rebels, the Rebels weren't great on their side of things. 
but they were just taking points when they were on offer and had a couple of good tries themselves. So, um, no, they had one try, wasn't it, to Jordan Ulesi Ulesi. Um, so look, they, they were just taking the opportunities they had. Reese Hodges kicking game was actually on point. I think, um, Rev's absolute burn on him, um, earlier in the week where he, he pointed out that Reese Hodge is the only person that's had more cards this season than he's had points from conversion or penalty attempts. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad stat. And he so, must have um, sent that to, to he, Hodgie as He well. must have heard that, and Hodgie yeah. has stepped up and righted that wrong. So um, <laughs> all credit. I think Rev um, is the one who the Rebels should be thanking for this win. And how good is it to have a player? Again, this is the type of game that goes to show the utilityness of Reese Hodge. How good is it to have him in your 23 where he can step up and kick a penalty from 55, 60 metres? Yeah, like there's yeah, no exactly. one else in Australian rugby at the moment that can do that. There's probably Ryan no one in... not that far, mate. Those yeah. stubby yeah, little Nick legs. White. He's not Ryan getting White. them over from fifty-five. What are you talking? All right, okay. I'll, no, I'll, I'll give him fifty. I won't give him sixty. <laughs> I'll give him fifty. Uh, uh, Nick White is probably the only one um, that comes close. But you're right; it is a skill that's incredibly impressive. And um, although he hasn't been in good form. Um, throughout the first six rounds, the last couple of rounds have been much improved. So hopefully he can continue that form, especially with um, Tom Banks recovering from his cheek injury. And we have been talking up the Western Force a lot, but we do have to realise that they unfortunately didn't win this game. Mm. And the Melbourne Rebels have had a poor start to the season so far this year. And the fact that they were able to get the win this week is is a massive props to them. Uh, they the, the Western Force were closing in hard at the end of that game there. And they could have taken just one penalty given away in their 22 to for the Western Force to get the win, but they didn't do that. The Melbourne Rebels did keep composed and they did grind out that win. Uh, there is a little bit of controversy around the clock. I don't know if you saw this, Ando, but apparently they played an extra minute. Uh, they had a scrum or there was a scrum reset and the clock got called off. And then Damon Murphy called time on when the scrum was set with I think a minute and a half to go in the game and the clock didn't come back on for 58 seconds. So they technically right. played an extra minute of rugby uh, that they okay. weren't really aware of. Imagine if they'd actually won it in that last minute of the game. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it throws up <laughs> those scenarios of what if and, geez, we really need to get on top of that, don't we? <laughs> All right. Um, Are there any yeah. final thoughts on this, Northy? Anything you wanted to say before we shift across to the next game? No, I can. let's keep going. Yeah, beautiful. All right, so the second game of the Australian Conference was played against the Drua and the Brumbies. This was played in Queensland at Suncorp Stadium. It was a Drua, in Drua home game, sorry. The Brumbies did come away quite convincing victors in this one, 33-12. to 12. Uh, Did you get a chance to watch this one, Northy? Yeah, I did actually. I caught yep, most brilliant. of this one. Um, I thought the Brumbies might have sort of put their foot on the throat a little bit more at times. Mm. It looked like they... They could sort of run away with it a little bit, but look, props to Drua for staying in there as well as they did. Um, you know, they've seemed to do that most games. They've, you know, always looked exciting with the ball. You know, they might have had some some penalties or turnovers or something that, you know, have stopped them getting a real flow on. But gee, yeah, when they've got the ball in hand, they, they can do anything. That's right. That's right. And that's something we're starting to see week in, week out from this Drua team that whenever you give them half a centimetre, they make four metres. So teams really need to be on top of their defense to, to shut these guys down because it doesn't take a lot for them to make something from nothing. Again, it's another week we're talking about the same theme of 
They left their run too late. They had a great um, mo- few minutes in the middle of the second half where they scored some good points. Uh, they looked like they were on fire at that point. The Brumbies were still within reach at that point of the game until they scored a few more times and, and the score really did blow away from them. But we just haven't seen so far this year a full 80-minute performance by the Indrua. They haven't really been able to stamp their mark on games and take control of things. Is that something that we should hopefully see moving forward, Ando? Or do you th- see it more as an opportunity sort of coming to a close when with the Kiwi teams just around the corner? Yeah, look, I don't think that they are going to improve significantly in that area moving forward because... I'm not sure they're going to be able to play a more consistent or look, I don't want to say the word structured game, but just to play in the right areas of the field at the right times. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see that when it coming up against the Kiwi teams who are probably going to be a little bit more ruthless than the Aussie teams have been or a little bit more um, uh, kind of choking them or throttling them within their own areas and not allowing them to play out from the back. So I'm pretty concerned for how their season's going to progress moving forward. But hey, like Moana have proven us wrong in terms of the quality of some of their performances against the Kiwi teams, and maybe the Indra will do the same. They've definitely got the strength and the big bodies to be able to match the physicality of the Kiwi teams. Um, So maybe based upon that, they'll be able to control a little bit more than what I'm expecting. And overall, what were your thoughts on this game, Ando? Yeah, look, it um, it was a really interesting game because it was a positive return back to form for the Brumbies who were uncharacteristically poor against the Reds with a lot of um, disrupted line-out ball and their more wasn't working efficiently. Uh, a really interesting stat from this game is of their five tries, let's take out the last one to Tom Wright in the 81st minute, which mm-hmm. was basically just a bit of a turnover break um, whilst the Andrew were trying to get a bonus point try. Um, but of the four tries outside of that one, all of them came off the back of line-out mall dominance. So either it came directly from Billy Pollard or Connell McInerney, um, basically as the hookers getting over the line off the back of a um, scrum, back of a line-out mall, yep. or the try to Tom Wright and then Cam Clark in the fifth and nineteenth minutes, respectively, came off the defensive pressure that the mall put on the line, a one-out hit that they were able to then do to suck in some of the wide defenders. And then they ran the exact same strike play just with a couple of plays in different positions um, for both the right and the Cam Clark try. And so without that forward dominance within the line-out drives, then we're not seeing those tries come off as they did. And it was a bit of a return to form for the Brumbies in that area because we've commented that it's been not up to their usual standards over the last three or four weeks, particularly against the Reds. So it was really pleasing to see that the focus they most likely put on that area during the week came to fruition. And it's good to um, have that as a point of difference within Australian rugby for the Brumbies. Um, Just being able to show that, yeah, Aussies can tough it up up front and create opportunities elsewhere in the field. Yeah, I have a real optimistic outlook for the Brumbies moving forward into the New Zealand conferences in the next few weeks that this year so far, they've only played the Australian teams. And with Dan McKellar now as the Waratahs attack coach, he's been sharing a lot of the dark secrets that the Brumbies have used in their mall for the last few years. And this is the first time this year that we've actually seen the Waratahs, the Rebels and the um, the the Reds. Why did I forget the Reds? Um, being able to actually meet parity at mall time and diffuse them all. 
So they haven't had that dominance in that set piece that they have had in previous years. I wonder if that is because of the this group think that has happened as an outcome of Dan McKellar becoming Wallaby's coach. This performance was great to see the fact that they came up against a team who doesn't have that insight, who isn't as familiar with their mall techniques that the Australian teams are aware of, and they they got pay from it. They were able to score all their points through that. So a part of me hopes that moving forward against the Kiwi sides, we might get back to the Brumbies of old where they have that dominance again at mall time, where they can score points through that, where they can use that as a really great attacking set piece to base their attack off. Um, it might hopefully prove useful against New Zealand teams, but again, we won't know till we get there. Uh, Northy, I'll throw this next bit to you. So who were your standout players from this game? Look, as a Reds fan, I'd love to see Billy Pollard sign with the Reds and, and try and pry him away uh, from the Brumbies down there. It seems like they can't stop producing, um, you know, hookers down there between Folau, Connell and, and Billy. They've got, you know, some nice stocks down there. Oui, Lockie, uh, Lockie as well. Thank you. Oh, of course, of course. How could I forget? So, yeah, they've got plenty going on for them. And, um, and yeah, I, I think... Not only this game, but any time he's got on, he's looked every bit the super rugby player um, every time he stepped on the park, which is good to see. Um, and then obviously, you know, you've got someone like Tom Hooper, again, who's just been incredible every time he's come on the park. He's, um, you know, making his tackles, he's running his lineouts properly. He's, you know, doing the hard work of a second rower and then some. Um, I've been really impressed with him. Yeah, not only this game, but, but all season as well. And uh, this was the first time that we saw Tom Wright shift to fullback. What were your thoughts around that positional change and how did he go? Oh, look, I thought I thought he did relatively well. Um, he obviously benefited at the end of that um, line at that, that strike play to get the first or opening try of the game, as well as benefiting in the 81st minute. So we got two tries, but like, he could have done that off the wing, um, regardless of being at 15 or 14. That's mm-hmm. He could have done that either way. Um, I think he was relatively... I don't remember any big mistakes that he made positionally in defence. Um, he was pretty solid when receiving the ball. He didn't seem to um, return to, to do kick returns with as much pace and venom running back into the line as Tom Banks does. Um, he seemed a little bit more hesitant when taking the hit-ups. Um, uh, they maybe, were playing the intro, mate. Like, yeah, <laughs> look were. up and you see... <laughs> Well, 140 these, kilos standing yeah, there. Yeah. I don't think Tom Banks would have been running full pelt at that. Maybe, maybe. Um, so I, I think he was decent, uh, but he also didn't get tested a huge mm. amount. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I really don't have anything to say beyond that. His his stats and everything are pretty positive. Yep. Um, and uh, despite the fact he actually did have a couple of um, turnovers conceded and a missed tackle as well. So that's something to be considering. But from an attacking perspective, he was really strong. Was there anyone else in this game that stood out to either of you? Yeah, I, I just wanted to um, kind of emphasize or echo Tom Hooper's contributions mm-hmm. as well. He had 20 tackles, which is just absolutely massive. Rob Valentini had 18 as well. Um, I keep getting impressed by um, Frank Lamani at Scrum Half. We said that heaps of times, so I kind of won't stick with him. But dear God, the Fijian wingers are just an excitement machines. Ratave is just 
every single time he touches the ball, you expect him to do something incredible with it. Uh, he had nine runs for 84 metres, one clean break and three defenders beaten, which is just incredible. Um, he he was really, really strong. A player that I was very happy with was um, Ire Simone as well. He had a really good kicking game. Um, and Andy Muirhead had absolutely killer stats with his run metres, 92 run metres, three defenders beaten. Um, and he got a couple of really nice kicks, one really nice 50-22 um, as well to set up, uh, I think it was to set up Billy Pollard's try, um, but I might be wrong with that one. Either way, he's he's had a very strong game for someone who's pretty much underrated. Northy, any players that stood out to you? Um, yeah, look, I ran through sort of Billy Pollard and, and Tom yeah. Pepper, so I'll just stick with those guys. Uh, what about you, Mitch? Yeah, some of the uh, Fijian and Drua players are starting to make their, their names known, and you said it, Retave, but Herbosi on the other wing as well, he's just performing so good week in, week out, and they're becoming known names, and that was one of the things that we were excited about having this Fijian team coming into Super Rugby is we've got new names, we've got new faces, they're adding a new mix into the, the product that is Super Rugby. Uh, the fact that they can score points from anywhere from a uh, counter-attack is just exciting. I am really looking forward to seeing how they go against the New Zealanders in a few weeks. I think we might be a bit surprised. I, I know the Waratah, uh, the Australian team seem to have the Indrua number at the moment, but I just have a feeling that they have more to go. They have another level to take it up to, and I think that they will play a similar style in a lot of ways to the New Zealand teams. They will have that counter-punch. They will have that flair and that that ball skill that some of the Australian teams just don't can't match with. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing some, their performances and how they match against uh, the the New Zealand teams in a few weeks. One thing I did want to say that I think we've missed over in the spicy news section this week, and you just mentioned remember prompted my mind before Ando. Um, Ira Simone and. Uh, Angus Scott Young have this week been announced as leaving uh, Australian yeah. rugby yep. as well. So big losses for sort of that second tier player at the moment. Angus Scott Young doesn't have any caps yet. Ira Simone does have a few for the Wallabies, but unfortunately we don't. Uh, it would have been great to have them sticking around for another year or two in Australian rugby, but realistically, if they're not making the Wallaby squad, it's probably better for them to go overseas personally and, and make some money. So it is unfortunate to see them go, but at the same time, we do wish them well and. And we hope that they go over to Europe and do what most Australian players do is go over there, get fit, get better, come back as an all-rounded player and perform much better in a few years' time. Anything else you wanted to say around this game or should we move into the New Zealand games? Mate, I'm, I'm pretty happy to move on because, yeah, there were some pretty big results from New Zealand teams we should probably touch on. I do want to give us all a bit of a pat on the back. We are Waratahs and Reds fans all three of us sitting here and we've not once mentioned either of those teams in the reviews this week. So well done to everyone. Golf claps, golf claps. Uh, But let's, (laughs) let's move across to the New Zealand game. So the first game we had of the week was the Chiefs hosting the Blues. It was, uh, was actually, was the Blues hosting this one? Was this in Eden Park or was this? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, it's not really that important, but it was the Chiefs versus the Blues. The Blues did come away. 25 nil uh, victors in this game. We then moved across to the Hurricanes and the Crusaders. That game was won by the Crusaders 21-24. Uh, and then the final game of the round 
was the Highlanders and Moana Pacifica. The Highlanders getting their first win of the year against Moana Pacifica, 37-17. Let's start with the Blues game. Uh, 25-0, that is a big scoreline, particularly when we look at the fact that the Blues had four yellow cards in this game. What were your general thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, look, I was um, watching the uh, mini of this game and I was just constantly amazed by how close the Chiefs came on multiple occasions to getting tries to then only have the TMO intervene, justifiably, I'll say, and um, pull the penalty, pull the try back for a penalty in the lead up to, whether it was through a, um, a, a, a shepherding or... Um, what's that called? I'm having, oh my God, I'm having a mental blank when a player runs in front of the other. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, shepherding yeah, or something block. like that. Um, and another one where um, the ball got knocked out from the try scorer's hands in the process of scoring attack, scoring try. It was just so many close little moments where the Blues were able to just hold on. Um, and Tom Robertson's try was the, I think it was his first try off the cross field kick from Bowden Barrett after some incredible lead up play that involved like almost half the Blues team was just just champagne rugby and to have a number six out on a wing waiting for a cross field kick was beautiful beautiful to see <laughs> so um some really good moments uh really enjoyable recommend you go back and watch it um as a real statement piece from the Blues because the Chiefs have been pretty good form team within this competition yeah they, they have um, so far they've been yeah. playing pretty well so for the Blues to come up twenty five nil against them is is big yeah it's it's unusual we're looking at the new zealand conference at the moment we have the narrative of thinking the crusaders are at the top and there's sort of daylight between the team coming second but it doesn't seem to be the case this year if we go back the last two or three weeks and look at the results for the crusaders they've only come away victors by three four five points they're not smashing any of these new zealand teams we look at the results for the competition so far the chiefs beat the crusaders which hasn't been done for three or four years, and then they get beaten by the Blues 25-0. So it's sort of all up in the air at the moment, and anyone on any given day could put in a varied performance. I know that COVID probably has a big impact in that, but it's exciting to see who really is that form team, and moving forward across into the crossover in the next few weeks, it's going to be interesting to see how which teams show up um, and which team Aussie teams might be able to take advantage of a team that's not quite at full pace on the day. Uh, we'll move across into the next game, which was the Hurricanes and Crusaders. So the, the Crusaders did come away 24-21 victors in this game. Northy, did you get a chance to watch this one? Yeah, I did catch to, manage to catch most of this one. Um, it was great to see Will Jordan playing well. Um, if he if he had a, a second half that was as good as his first half, I think I might have got high score ever in fantasy because he could do <laughs> no no wrong um, in that first half. So, look, I think the Hurricanes did really well to be in it as long as they were. Um, obviously, the Crusaders feel like they might have another gear to give. I know you were trying to say before that, you know, it might be a bit closer than we think it is, but, you know, they've had a pretty unsettled team. Mm. They're constantly chopping and changing yeah. their back line and, and back row and and they do have a couple injuries as well and they've still got guys like um you know jack goodhue who's nearing fitness again who's an all black so you know i can't help but feel they've been staying just ahead of the pack and, and winning these close games against the likes of the hurricanes however you know once everything clicks you know i feel like that there might be a few 30 40 point games in them yeah. um as far as this game goes um geordie barrett just 
can play any position, I think. I think you could put him at, at lock and he'd t- be tall enough and he'd do an amazing <laughs> job. Um, you, yeah, How would he go against Tupo? Oh, at prop, he, he might be a little tall um, <laughs> going up against Tupo there. But in saying that, look, I've just said I can back him anywhere, so I'll stick to my word. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, he's he's played a lot of 12 there in the past and he's slotted straight back in there. And um, he's been great for them in saying that. You know, I think, I don't know if this is their best back line. I, I was actually reading the comments on the Hurricanes um, sort of Twitter and, and Facebook after the team came out. And there were cries for uh, Balen Sullivan and, and Umaga Jensen to be in the team. So, you know, to think that they've come really close against the Crusaders um, with missing a, a few strike plays in the back line and having Geordie play at 12, not 15, you know, maybe on another day they could have won. So, yeah. It's interesting to note that it's yet another game in a row where the Crusaders haven't scored any, if any, points after about the 45th minute. In this game, it's 46th minute. Um, and so it's just it's just interesting because normally we would be expecting the latter 15 to 20 minutes of the game to be where the, the class of the Crusaders um, comes out to play. But maybe because they're up against other teams that have similar characteristics, they're kind of nullifying each other. Uh, but what it does do, it sets up an incredibly mouth-watering clash um, on Friday night with the Crusaders hosting the Blues. Uh, so that will be second v third, and it's likely that the winner of that game will be top of the ladder um, and overtake the Brumbies who have the bye this week. So that'll be a great game if you can be making sure to watch that. There was a little bit of controversy at the end of this game. I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but the Hurricanes had a penalty on full time. They were down by three. Uh, They had the opportunity to go for points and tie it up and go to Golden Point or go to the corner. They chose to go to the corner. Uh, In the subsequent line out, there was a bit of illegal activity by the Crusaders. Uh, Scott Barrett got up high and, and ripped Jordy Barrett, uh, um, Artie Sevilla straight down and sacked him. Um, contact in the air. Artie Sevilla has jumped up and gone straight at the referee and said, "Are we going to look at this? This is clearly a penalty." And it was called, uh, it was called an unplayable maul. So it was actually given to the Hurricanes. But since it was extra time, uh, they called it full time. First of all, was it was the hurricane? Did the hurricanes make the wrong choice by not going to the posts and tying this up? Uh, yeah, I think you always take the points that are on offer in a close match like that. Um, and I mean, we've seen from Moana Pacifica that anything can happen within that period of time. And the Canes, the Crusaders, sorry, are so strong within a line-out or even a line-out defence that uh, I think it's taking a bit of a risk when you have someone that's as good a penalty kicker as Geordie Barrett. Northy, do you agree? Or do you think they should have, it, it was the right decision to go for the line? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll sit the other side of the fence. I think, you know, if you've got an opportunity to win the game and, and not go to extra time, you know, why not? Um, you know, who, who's to say they don't kick the goal end up losing an extra time anyway. So um, I think trying to secure the win when possible um, is probably the way I'd go. And what are your thoughts around how the final few seconds were adjudicated? So Adi Sevilla is up there at the referee saying that he's been tackled in the air. The referee is basically telling him to go away and he's not having any any play, any thought of it at all. Uh, do we need to... Is there need to be some sort of... Uh, Look into this. There's a lot of talk in New Zealand at the moment that Adi Sevilla, as captain, was not given the respect that he deserves. As the captain talking to the referee, he's sort of just given the cold shoulder. Is there some kind of protocol that you think we need to bring in 
in this sort of situation just to to relook at a situation like that because if we do go back and look it for all as a neutral player as a neutral person watching this game I would have thought that would have been a penalty offense yeah, look, I um, don't really have an issue with the way in which um, referees deal with players in general. I think sometimes they can be a little bit too dismissive of the captains, which in this situation you could probably label as a as something to look into a bit further. But I never want to see it descend into anybody else other than the captain mm. kind of going up and having these conversations. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about union is the respect that the referees have. Um, and if in order to have that kind of, I'm not sure if it's respect, but that authority, they need to remain distant from the players and sure. But I think a lot of the referees um, that are really standout referees all over the world, like um, Wayne Barnes as a really good example, they often had pretty decent rapport with players too. And they would explain decisions well to the player. So even if the player disagreed or the captain disagreed, they at least understood the reason why the referee got to that process. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, look, I've kind of talked around the issue a bit. Obviously, <laughs> rapport and communication matters, but I still uh, want the referee to be the absolute determinant of any kind of conversation, beginning or ending. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a really good point that you made, just communication there. And and if he had could give Surveyor a reason why he wasn't going to look at it or why it wasn't a penalty... That would have been, I think, justification for both parties then. And then he's got nothing. He, I don't think he's the type of player who would just continue that conversation unnecessarily. Um, you could understand him being frustrated at that in the instance, the fact they lost the game and, and those sort of things. But uh, we will see if anything does come from it in, in following weeks. Uh, shall, does anyone have anything they want to say about the Highlanders and Moana Pacifica game or shall we finish the review of the games here? No, I'm I'm pretty happy. Northy, do you, anything you wanted to add? No, I'm happy with that. Fantastic. Well, let's uh let's call it time on the review for this week. And thankfully we have the Waratahs and the Reds playing next week, so we have something exciting to talk about again. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh but let's get into the locker room and get into our fans' questions. All right, let's go. Right, right before we get into the locker room, I'm just going to say we've had a bit of a change of heart in that we have spent so much positive time talking about the rugby and we have this locker room section that we're going to go through as well with some excellent fan-submitted questions I'm going to cut you off, Ando. We've had a change of heart. We've talked enough about the Western Force, so we're not releasing the Ian Pry interview. <laughs> we're to, to, in, in this episode. In this episode. So what we're actually going to do is um, this, this episode will be out for your earbuds tomorrow, well, which is Tuesday. Tuesday morning, morning. You're probably yep. listening to this. Um, and we're going to release the Ian Pryor episode on Wednesday morning. Okay. So we just thought it'd be a little bit easier than making this a mammoth kind of hour 45 to hour pod. Let's break it up into the two. So just be aware of that. Now, Fantastic. moving into the locker room, we have some excellent comments here where we can finally be talking about the Waratahs. Um, so before we get into Hugh Tyndall's first comment, I do just want to say, there has been some pretty significant news that Lockie Swinton's shoulder injury is a lot more severe than uh, what had been made public before. He actually has ongoing nerve damage and nerve issues within his shoulder that's causing significant numbness in his arm. And it may well be another month or two before uh, they make the decision on whether he's going to be getting surgery or not. And so that might be his entire 2022 
done and dusted. So Mitch, how big a loss is this for the Waratahs and for the Wallabies moving forward? Well, first of all, I, I, I love Lockie Swinton as a player. He's great. He does great things for the Waratahs. I don't think we're in a situation at the moment where we have a massive hole in that jersey if he doesn't play. Um, I think he does bring something that the other players don't currently bring. He brings that mongrel and that aggression and that physicality. But at the same time, we can fill that hole in different ways. On a personal level, I feel completely shattered for Lockie if this is the outcome because he had a great 2021. He got his Wallabies debut. He was getting some good minutes um, in Dave Rennie's team. He was firming as a favorite to be included in that 2023 World Cup squad not necessarily starting, but at least in that squad and in that conversation. If he's not going to get to play at all in 2022 by that one game he played in round one against the Indrua, that really puts shadows over his potential to be chosen in twenty chosen for that team in 2023. So on a personal uh, perspective, I think it's really, really disappointing for Lockie, I think. And knowing him as the player that he is, he would be shattered. With that he just wants to get out on the field and put in a performance first of all for new south wales but then again for the waratahs uh, for the wallabies so yeah very disappointing but um it's not the be all and end all yeah luckily back row is an area of strength so we might dive into hugh tyndall's uh, comment here so tars selections with edmed donaldson and harrison all available for selection in the final round before trans tasman so for the upcoming force match where do you play them so let's start with that point before we move into some of the back row combinations here uh let's ask the resident queenslander Northy, where would you be playing Edmund, Donaldson and Harrison? Would you have them all in the starting 15? Would you have them all within a 23 or does somebody sit out? Yeah, look, based on how they've selected this year, you'd think Edmund probably starts off the bench and Donaldson sort of got that 10 jersey locked up with Harrison at 15. In saying that, Harrison's uh, form at 15 has been very good. So the sort of uh, the changes that could be made are probably between Edmed and Donaldson. Um, and that's really just who's starting at 10, the other one's on the bench. I don't think you can start both of them. Edmed's last game was unreal. Um, and I don't think Donaldson has really put in a performance like that all year. That's not to say he's been bad. I think he's been playing very well, actually. But yeah, I think without Edmed played last game, he's probably put up a pretty good case to get selected as the starting 10 uh, this game as well. Brilliant. Well, it's an exciting thing to see what Darren Coleman will do within that position. Mitch, do you start Hoops and Gamble as a 7-6 combo? Uh, do you think the Hoops will come off the bench for one more week? Because we did target match fitness as a bit of an issue for him when he came off the bench uh, last round. Also, Hannigan is back in three weeks, so he'll be another six or second row option, which is pretty exciting. So speaking particularly to the back row makeup, what are you going to do there, Mitch? Yeah, first of all, start, just focusing on the Hannigan thing, I don't think he gets... Uh, parachuted straight into the starting team. I think he'll come in gradually and, and make his... He'll, he'll have to come in and learn the calls and, and learn the group. There's a lot of new plays and new faces that he hasn't played within a number of years. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him until the later half of Trans-Tasman. Uh, I would... If I'm putting my coach's hat on, I would probably be starting hoops off the bench. I think that we've got the force this week and... Whilst the Western Force are a great team and, and they can be a challenge, I don't think they're going to be as difficult an opposition as, say, the Crusaders and the New Zealand teams in a few weeks. I think if we can give Hooper or minimize Hooper's workload easing into Super Rugby this year, easing into Trans-Tasman, it's probably a good thing because once we get into 
the New Zealand teams, I think Hooper needs to play every single minute that he can for the Waratahs for us to be competitive. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him come off the bench. Uh, do we then start Gamble or Tizano? I think we start Gamble, but I would love to see Tizano getting his run uh, for the Waratahs as well, purely because he is from Western Australia, and I think that would put that mongrel level back up at 150%. Yeah, in saying that, it's a really interesting combo, though, in that we've got Will Harris, who's had a pretty good season so far, but then Raboni Warren-Vosiaco is coming back into the picture. And I know um, a lot of people, Rev included, absolutely hype him up to the nth degree. So there's some really good options there. Uh, Vintage Red 25 asks, are three Brumbies out, Banks, Faitinga'a and Simone, worth one Karevi in. So there's been a lot of uh, very, very excited chat from Australian rugby fans about some of the comments that Samu Karevi has made in terms of a potential return to Australian rugby shores. And with the news that Ire Simone is going to be heading um, overseas, it is there's been some chatter going around that maybe the Brumbies could be a potential destination considering for the Wallabies uh, 9 and a potential Wallabies 10 that he'll be playing alongside, well, and 13 as well, playing alongside. So you could well have the Wallabies back line there with Samu Karevi um, inside it as well. So that'd be a fantastic way to be building that, um, those combinations. Let, let's just throw this one over to you, Northy. Do you think that by the sum total, well, number one, do you think that Karevi would actually go to the Brumbies considering he kind of seems to love his quality weather and a bit of, um, bit of kind of the city life and then number two would it still be a good trade if you were to lose banks fainga and simoni yeah look from what i've heard and, and sort of what i've seen and just what i'd like to think if he comes back to play in australia hopefully it's in a red jersey but for the sake of this equation if we're going banks fainga and simoni and karevi coming into that to replace those three um i honestly think it's net gain to the Brumbies. I think, um, you know, Karevi provides enough that he's replacing Simone directly and then some. They've got so much depth at hooker that we've already spoken about tonight. And Banks is probably the biggest loss of the three. Um, but I think they'd be able to cover that and they'd be making up ground if, if Karevi were in that team somewhere. Yeah, good call. Uh, Mitch, Sheepy asks, is round eight the fewest bad throws we've seen from Horton all season? Well, I think it's the only... Definitely, yes, yes, it has, <laughs> first of all. But we don't know, it's not being uh, released how many bad throws he's had at training. So Ooh. it potentially could not be. Yep. But no, I love I love the, uh, the shout out from Sheepy. That's great. That I was laughing <laughs> for like 10 minutes when I saw that. It was a very, very good call. Well done, Sheepy. Uh, it does raise, I mean, it just makes me think about some of the interesting hooker changes that are happening across Australian rugby with Jordan Ulysses supposedly or potentially heading overseas. There's been some news articles about that too. Um, you've got Feingar moving, Alex Murphy returning back from a pretty significant neck injury as well. Um, there's there's just a few, few changes going around that I think are going to give some opportunity for up-and-coming players uh, to be staking their claim within the hooker positions. And it is a little bit worrying that a player like Ulacy, if he does end up going overseas for 2023, he's he's in the Wallabies picture. Um, and the fact that he's looking to go overseas at this point is really disappointing because he's one of the few ex- a few hookers that we have that have some level of international experience, even if his form hasn't been great early on this season. I will say um, um, <coughs> promising signs. Mahi Vailanu played for Gordon in the shoot shield this weekend because it was a Waratahs buy and he scored two tries. So 
Uh, that was great to see that he's... And from what I've seen, they weren't just set-piece tries either. That was his running rugby. So a bit of difference for for selection from Horton, which is good to see. Well, let's see if I want me through his throws straight in the Stan Sport replay. We'll have to go back and track those. Uh, Tim Foster, some rando, asks, with Harrison playing so well at fullback for the Tars this year and Beal signed to come back next year, will Beal be a walk-up starter at 15? Or will he be playing in a 23 jersey off the bench as he can cover 15, 12, and 10? Uh, let's go that one to Mitch as a Tars fan. Uh, look, uh, this is I think this is a great question, so thanks for sending that in. Uh, first of all, I think the answer to this question sits with Dave Rennie and what his plans are. So if Dave Rennie has plans for Kurtley Beal to be in the frame and potentially one of the starting fullbacks come 2023, the World Cup next year, I think that New South Wales need to start him because he needs that game time and he needs that uh, the combinations with the other Wallabies players in New South Wales and also in the various super teams to to get him up to pace being in being over in France for the next for the last few years. Whether he is the best option at fifteen anymore is still a different conversation. If he's not that first choice or second choice fullback, particularly now with Banks gone. For Dave Rennie, then I think Darren Coleman probably does start Will Harrison um, as the starting fullback because we've seen this year that he's been great. He's growing every week and that combination that he's developing with Ben Donaldson at 10 is is exciting and has the potential to set up a really good spine for the Waratahs for the next few years moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. So from a Waratahs perspective, it's probably best to have Harrison at starting fullback and have Beal on the bench because he's that utility player like Reese Hodge. He can slot in anywhere. Um, but from a fullback's perspective, from a Wallabies Wallaby's fullback perspective, we probably want Beal getting some game time and not coming off the bench all the time or being that utility player like Reese Hodge at slotting in all over the place. We probably want him playing fullback at super as much game time as he can get. Yep. Yep. Uh, Jason Breeze asks, and I'm going to send this one over to you, Northeast, about the women's competition, the women's games. So he has the same comment about what he said last week, which is focusing on are Sanzar and Australian rugby sitting on a massive potential growth um, if they were to align women's rugby with men's rugby and make sure that each of the super rugby teams has its own women's team. They're playing at the same competition. They share flights. They share accommodation. They have the exact same draw, and that's trying to minimise expenses within each of the franchises. Uh, do you personally think that that would be a good way for the competition to try to grow the women's game moving forward? Some weeks you might have the women's game playing first some game some weeks you might have the men's game what are your thoughts look i think in an ideal world it would be the way to go i think you guys might have even touched on it last week or when this has last come up Mm. that the best way for me personally to watch women's games live would be to have them on concurrently with the men's game and piggybacking off that a little bit i know that they do have a a great product and you know it is something that should be sold itself but, you know, it is still in its infancy in terms of, a, a, you know, again, it's being played around Australia and, and particularly, you know, there's enough struggles with the men's teams. Um, unfortunately, yeah, the, the, the women's teams are probably going to be pulled down by that a little bit, if anything. Um, so I think, look, if they can get it all to align, um, I think that would be great. Same flight, same match days. In saying that, I guess next year will be the bigger test because, you know, are we going to have this split schedule again or is it actually going to be back to a more um, sort of 
more super rugby style tournament where there'll be New Zealand games scattered throughout the year. We don't want a situation where they try and line all the women's game up with the men's games and then they've got buyers when they don't need to or, or there's mm. other things happening and it doesn't work mm. out how they'd like it. So, look, if they can if they can get the scheduling right, I think it'd be great. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that's going to happen going into next year. Yeah, some really good points there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we can wrap things up here because we have reached the end of the locker room. So a big thank you to everybody for getting your questions and comments in. Very much appreciated and always good to hear from our lovely and loyal fans. Um, what I just want to emphasize right at the end of the pod is if you are available living in Sydney, uh, this coming Thursday, 6pm at Eric Tweedell Oval is the uh, preliminary final between the New South Wales Waratahs and the Queensland Reds women's team. So make sure you get along to that and cheer on the Waratahs, even if you're from somewhere else, just cheer on the Waratahs. Even if you're get from Queensland, through. cheer on the Waratahs. Cheer on the Waratahs. Yep, definitely do it. Um, and get along to that game because it should be a great one. I'm going to try and get out. I might even take my six-year-old along because it's at a better time for him to go. So Awesome. That'll be fun. That'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, very, very keen. Um, so get on to that. Thank you so much, Northview, for coming on board, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you tonight. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's uh, been good to get on here, obviously. Um, I probably won't listen to this one because I'll have to listen to my own voice. Um, but I'll be back for I'll be back for Ian Pryor, that's for sure. Uh, that's good news, mate. That's good news. Now, do you have any socials or anything like that that people can kind of get in touch with if they want to stalk you and find out a bit more about your rugby opinions? Uh, look, nothing too much I want to plug. I think you can catch me on Twitter at AlexNorth94. But yeah, yeah, I'm just brilliant. usually retweeting your tweets anyway so <laughs> i love it that's very kind of you all right well mitch it's been a pleasure to be here with you as well mate hope you have an awesome week and uh looking forward to talking more rugby and watching more rugby with you soon awesome thanks everyone we'll catch you next week all right catch you bye see ya